there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. Welcome back to Ravel Rants. We've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to keep talking about Palestine, though. As usual, it will have that Canadian connection. We really need to update you from the stories that we included in our last Rabble Rant, namely MLA Selena Robinson and her downfall. We're also going to talk about reports coming out of Nicaragua and perhaps a, an ICJ case looming against Canada. We're also going to get into Canada's so-called special visa program and the other performative shit that's coming out of our federal government. But like I said, an update on Selena Robinson. So Santiago, she did get some punishment, right? In our last episode, we were really frustrated that almost nobody, but I think Charlie Angus at that point, Matthew Green came out quickly soon after. We did see Jagmeet Singh make a statement a little bit wishy-washy. There were some folks that were very clear within the NDP that they were displeased with MLA Robinson, but surely it was the relentless actions of activists that solidified her resignation from the her minister's position. So she's still in MLA. She's trying to hold on to that. She's still in the party, but she's not in the cabinet anymore. Mm. This didn't get a lot of airtime, but her position in the cabinet is actually significant. She was in charge of post-secondary education, and she had used that position to have a teacher fired for their Palestinian views. And so it's really ironic that there's backlash to the backlash when the person being targeted here has a history of holding people accountable for their political views if they don't jive with the folks that make decisions. And I think a lot of people are trying to argue that it shouldn't be the electorate or constituents or NDP members that should actually determine, should determine if she stays in office. So when I say the activists were relentless, I mean, they showed up at a caucus retreat and... It looks like some of them from the videos that they posted got inside. And what really frustrated me was you could hear them calling for the MLAs that they could get into eyeshot with, calling them by name with a real familiar tone as though they've worked with them before. And I imagine if you're an activist in B.C., you've had to work with members of the ruling party, especially the NDP at this point. And so but that got them nowhere. The political class is really closing ranks on this issue, and I think that's for multiple reasons, not just because some of them actually hold Zionist views, but because they didn't like the way that their own base held them accountable. They didn't like the way they were potentially being removed from office without having an election. It's it's 
they're always trying to drive home this artificial point that the ballot box is the be all end all of democracy and everything outside of that is labeled as like intimidation, harassment. Premier Ebby used that old line that we've heard so many times in the NDP, at least people who are trying to reform it, that those protesters were just trying to divide the party, right, trying to sow discord in politics like that was their only goal and it wasn't to actually hold somebody accountable so i i'm actually loving how the ruling political class and adjacent are really upset about the backlash that robinson faced yeah there's a certain level of irony there though isn't there talking about you know ballot box and democracy as you know david eby how did he get into power i mean at at the end of the day, he it was uncontested because they expelled the only candidate that was running against them, right? So it's not like the ballot box got him there in the first place, right? And I, I think that there's, you know, I I didn't I don't know if I was expecting them to remove her, but I think it's important to like you know because everyone's drawing the comparisons between this and and Sarah Jama, right? And it needs to be mentioned, like, yeah, they didn't do this out of a sense of morality or what is right. You know, they did this, as you said, because of the pressure. And it took them quite a few days to do so, right? It's not like with Sarah Jama, which was quick, right? This was, they had to because of the pressure. Yeah, Robinson, you know, tried to issue an apology. We talked about that in the last episode. And then they tried to cede a little bit more by agreeing to take anti-Islamophobia training, which I need to point out is like not the issue. Again, not all Palestinians are Muslim. And it's a very unique type of racism that Palestinians and their allies face. Uh and it needs to be named that way. And the fact that they couldn't even acknowledge or say Palestine in response to all of that she's done in the past few months, because in the end, it wasn't just those statements and a few tweets that she people then poured over her accounts that she's now deleted. And it was endless by her and her husband just completely perpetuating the worst Zionist narratives. Some things that even Zionists don't even try to argue, like that all Jewish people have a birthright to Israel, and that it it was just astonishing, the breadth of it. And she has been elected since 2013. I imagine people have encountered her racism many, many times over, and she's maintained power. So it's absolutely to the credit of the people who put pressure in all kinds of ways. I mean, they were forced to cancel a big fundraiser, and that would have cost them a lot of money. They had already booked the venue, everything. It was probably the day before that they canceled. So they were really feeling the heat in BC, and, and rightly so. But... Then you have folks like Abby Lewis coming out this morning and calling the action outside of Selena Robinson's office childish and feeding into our detractors narrative that it was just inherently anti-Semitic because she's Jewish. It was post-it notes and chalk. And again, it's like that episode we did with Sky Johnson where 
papers on windows are getting people to really clutch their pearls and frame it as something more than what it is. And I think, again, that goes back to the point of the ruling elite just being really afraid. They're seeing themselves in these politicians, even if they're not elected. And they don't like that idea. They don't want to be a Melanie Jolie and have their house and their neighborhood disrupted. And like I've said before, I believe it is part of their role to rein us in, always. These folks that, especially folks like Avi Lewis and Naomi Klein, because we know that they know the urgency. Like if you're talking about climate action or if you're talking about stopping a genocide in Palestine and they're like what then advocating for really measured responses and stick to petitions and respectful protest. And that's the opposite of what the movement needs to progress. And it's always from this really privileged political position where they're used to getting a phone call back from people they need to speak to. They're used to having a huge platform, book tours where they can share their ideas and people will listen and then share on. Not everybody has that access. Some people leave, need to leave post-it notes on their MLA's window because that's the only time they can actually communicate with them. Your emails don't actually go to them. Your phone calls don't get through to them. And it's, again, this political elitist class trying to cut off avenues for actual change, right? And trying to keep us in this really narrow definition of protest. And they have no right to be doing that. No, and, uh, you know, it comes back to the conversation we had last episode, I think, about about standards, right? the standards that we're held to versus the standards that they're held to, right? Um, because this is the most tame shit. Like, some chalk, some papers that can be taken down, you know. That is incredibly, incredibly mild. Like, there's no actual permanent damage here whatsoever. It's people communicating with their politicians and holding them accountable. And... I mentioned the the double standards because you know, look at how how much it took for something for action to be taken. It took blatantly racist comments. It took a a pattern of blatantly racist comments. You know, this was something that has been happening over time. It took all of this public outrage, and it still took them days to come to this decision. That is not the standard that we're held to whatsoever. It's it's not it's not fair and it's fucked up, but that's the that's the situation. We know who has the power here. Like we know we know where the loyalties of those in power lie, and it's not with the people who are putting up messages with chalk. It's with the people who get outraged at messages with chalk. One thing that bugs me about what Avi Lewis did as well was not just that he criticized a tactic, which I really don't appreciate, especially when it comes from the powerful, to be honest. And but that's that wasn't it. It was like he was pleading with journalists to do the right thing. Please don't associate this with the movement. As though, one, he spoke for the fucking movement, which I, I don't know how that's possible. That's a really arrogant 
way to position yourself, but to be pleading with the same people who have already set this narrative that anything that they do is a pro-Hamas, anti-Jewish hate rally. You know, there's already that narrative that exists in the media and he's pleading with them. Like, please, please don't judge me by those actions. Like, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm going to give a little bit of, maybe I won't. (laughs) I mean, I'll, I'll say that, like, it's quite ironic and given his history, right? You know, I've talking to Javi Lewis before and you know he for example has told me personally like he's about oh yeah you know I, I, I apologize and condemn for the actions of 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 my uh, family my you know dad and grandfather you, you know they were people who uh were responsible were some of the people involved in you know breaking up the the waffle back in the day right then he's going doing the same things right yeah like moderating the left trying to keep us kind of bottled up. That's how it feels. Like, especially with you and I working so hard to get people to realize their power and to explore so many avenues to pressure power and to build community and solidarity. And it's just, it feels like, they're trying to do the opposite, but with the same fucking knowledge that we have. And so that really makes me mad. And I could spend time criticizing the fact that, you know, Lisa McLeod is also up in arms about how we are harassing politicians and, and that conservatives think exactly the same way Selena Robinson does. And clearly a lot of liberals, right? Melanie Jolie will not go unscathed in this episode. But the reason I end up focusing on the NDP or people that present themselves as leftists is because, again, like I said, they know better, but they have this sphere of influence in the same set of people we're going to need to rely on to do something more. And so if they are listening to them and holding them on the pedestal that we tend to do with people, especially rich people, especially people who have platforms, you know, that's what platforms are, right? Pedestals. And they have the ability to prevent meaningful change. And I wonder if they know that they're doing it, if it's like that discomfort that they just naturally feel, especially coming from a political family. Like, do they see daddy's office being plastered and and vandalized and, you know, harassed at dinner and they just don't want that for them or themselves? Or is it like, do they think it's actually a bad tactical maneuver? And if I would say that they're wrong, but they're entitled to have a difference of opinion, but they're not entitled to use those platforms to actually slam people who are doing good work or doing work. Like, you don't have to agree with everybody's tactics, right? But, like, stop drawing the line at fucking post-it notes and chalk. Like, surely there's further extremes you're going to allow people to go to to stop a genocide. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's one of these things where it's like, in this current moment, saying these things is just so particularly offensive, I think. Right? Because we should be doing 
Much more. I mean, you know, they were in Montreal. They were just uh, blocking up some train tracks. You know, there's been, you know, the barricading of some uh, arms manufacturers in Canada. You know, good work. Stuff that we should be doing. It's a lot more direct than some chalk. Like some chalk is like what I expect. These things are what I and it's the same thing. You know, like it. it uh, in Humber, you know, a student was going around putting stickers, and they got kicked out for it. I mean, eventually they had to apologize to him, but it's it's you know it's the same thing where it's like really, really, is this that offensive to you? Is this that inconvenient for you? Get like some, get a hose, wash it away. We'll come back and paint and then chalk it up again. But like, fuck, this takes minimal effort for you to address. This is not an inconvenience on you. You know what is an inconvenience? Genocide. A lot more than an inconvenience, and that's what's happening. And we're directly complicit and responsible in it. So, like, focus, like, I, I don't know about you, like, I'm I'm pretty tired, uh, you know, running around, lots of things going on. I, I, I had to pick and choose where I spend my energy right now, you know. There's a lot more happening than what I can possibly address or uh, participate in, so I had to pick and choose. I, I can't imagine being in a position where I'd have the energy to to be talking about chalk instead of talking about a genocide, you know? I, I can't I, I cannot fathom that. So like fuck off. Like <laughs> I, I I it's 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 almost comical to have to like I, I don't know what to say about this. Fuck off. Like Okay, I'm gonna give them a kernel of credibility in that Clearly, it's not the chalk or the post-it notes that's really upsetting. I think it's just the overall harassment, like the thing was plastered, really plastered, and, and that's kind of hitting the feels of some folks who that we're talking about. But there was the use of the word Nazi that has triggered a certain response. Obviously, the word Nazi, when you're also talking about a Jewish person, will invoke certain, you know, intergenerational trauma, shall we say? So I, this is a difficult one for me because I don't tend to use that language to describe Israel, but not because you can't make a fair comparison. I, I, that is, that can be done. But it's because it generates responses like this, this knee-jerk reaction, almost shuts down the conversation, very reactive language. However, I will defend people's right to do it because it is not a form of Holocaust denial. It's not anti-Semitism. Surely that's obvious now as we see the remaining population of Gaza, which much of Palestine now, pushed into a tiny parcel of land that's now surrounded by openly genocidal troops that have proven bent on eliminating everything Palestinian or adjacent. And they have been squeezing these people and isolating them and exiling them and killing them because of who they are for many, 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 many years. And it's all based on an ideology that pins 
one type of person as more worthy than others and spends a lot of its resources dehumanizing and isolating a certain set of peoples and torturing them slowly. So there's, there's fucking parallels to be made, right? But the Holocaust was fucking horrific. That's the point, because this is horrific. This has the same patterns. And it was it's the same attempt to scapegoat, remove, and then erase an entire set of people who don't fit a certain image. Right? And people should be allowed to make those comparisons, but they should also know, like we talked in the last episode about like protecting the movement and making certain calls about messaging, then sometimes when you use certain messaging, although it might be valid, it's, it, it causes problems that you perhaps shouldn't have had to deal with don't want to deal with right so that's a tough one I, I get that but at the same time it comes back to like just the current moment and you know every the overwhelming amount of things that are happening and it's like you know i i just c could not imagine that catching my attention more than other things you know but I mean, you're not jewish no i know but in, in canadian education we know that like we're taught very clearly about you know world war ii the nazis this is like the great evil it's what comes when horrible things happen it's what comes to mind like i get that right is there a level of sensitivity we had of course there is but look at what we're talking about right now like like we're, we're talking about an active genocide being occurred like maybe there are bigger things to focus on you know just perhaps i i just i don't have like right now and i guess i'll segue a little bit here but you know uh nicaragua was just sending a, a message to canada uk germany and netherlands about the possibility of taking them to the icj over complicit complicitness of being complicit <laughs> in in genocide right and they send a very strongly uh worded uh memo about this um talking about you know the continued arms uh well the continued support financially with arms to israel the uh cutting off of unra which they describe as collective punishment which you know again not allowed and you know, the lack of action, because once there is even the possibility of a genocide happening, it demands action, yet everything we're doing is doubling down, right? That was happening at the same time as all of these things. This has been happening for a few days now. It's gotten very, very little attention, but it's showing, you know, the eyes of the world are, are seeing what's going on here in Canada. They're seeing um, the actions of our government, and yet... What are we focusing on? You know, these are people in power with platforms. Are they doing everything in their ability to hold Canada accountable? No, they're part of it. I, I just I just don't have a lot of room for them to be making moral arguments when they're failing to their moral obligations. You know, like I, we'll criticize when people in our movement step out of line, you know, we, we're happy to do that because, you know, we're living up to our end of things as much as we can. You don't get to do that if you're 
not doing what you have to do. And when you're someone in power, when Avi Lewis, for example, has a fucking massive platform, he talks, people listen, you know? Is he doing everything he could do? No, I don't think so. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, I have a lot of room for understanding of, like, you know, everyone ha has their own limitations of how much they, energy they can or cannot put into something. He can be doing more. And not doing it to me, just shut up. Don't talk. Like, I don't want to hear you if you're not. And definitely don't claim, don't claim to, to represent me. You know, you're trying to talk for the movement. You you don't talk for me. I want to go back to that that Nicaragua memorandum that went out to to folks. I I know you're still trying to dig up some details, and it's still to be seen how that goes. But it really does open up a discussion on Canada being named in the very few countries that are named. Now, I, folks might notice that the United States isn't in the list of countries that Nicaragua has targeted in, and surely a case can be made or the the case can be made that Israel, I even get them mixed up, that the United States is more than complicit in this. But uh, when I went to go find what I could, you Google Nicaragua and the ICJ and you get hits on a case from 1984 where Nicaragua took the United States to the same court we saw South Africa and Israel in, they were <laughs> they were challenging the U.S. on their usual tactics of supplying, arming, training paramilitaries to operate within Nicaragua and also using their own U.S. military to operate on sovereign Nicaraguan soil. And they won, obviously, because... <laughs> There's no lack of evidence that the United States not only does this, but has a pattern of doing this. And although the United States showed up at court at first uh, and used the same Israeli tactic of trying to say, you know, you don't have jurisdiction over us. Like, I don't know why the world court wouldn't and, and why the world court gets to decide and then in turn. Yes, we do. But either way, that's what happened. So once that happened, the United States, well, we're just not coming anymore. So they just stopped showing up at proceedings. Obviously, the ruling went against them. And nothing happened from it. They just ignored it. They pretend it didn't happen. And it, it really didn't benefit Nicaragua all that much. I mean, I'm sure they felt very validated. And history will show that that's, in fact, exactly what the United States was doing there. But it just speaks to that conversation around international law and how we're going to hold these countries, including our own, accountable. And I don't think it's those institutions that are going to do it. Right. If you want Melanie Jolie to know just how horrible her actions are and Trudeau, I think you are going to have to show up outside their house. You are going to have to make sure they cannot dine in peace. You are going to have to remove them from their positions because otherwise all these avenues are kind of just set up as performative and resource wasting, frankly. You know, like it's great to have validation, but. We've had no no impact on Israel since the ICJ ruling. I know, you know, Dimitri and, and we spent a good chunk of that episode talking about the positives, like the confirmation that kind of came from that and that, it you know, it didn't ask for a ceasefire, but in, it, it did. However, as we anticipated, it has not really manufactured anything 
for the people of Gaza, right? They, they have not seen the fruits of that at all. So, and our government has not responded in a way, like you mentioned, that says they, that this court ruling happened. They've doubled down, right? We just seen Melanie Jolie sanction Hamas. What the fuck? <laughs> that like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if, if Kenneth on October 7th comes out and says we're sanctioning the leaders of Hamas, yada, yada, you know, okay, you know, you're making a statement here. To do it early February, you know, after the ICJ ruling, after everything, you know, kind of out of nowhere, it, it kind of speaks volumes about, you know, what, what kind of message they're trying to send to us. You know, I think Melanie Jolie has just, oh, God, she's been absolutely awful i think she she makes christia freeland very proud uh like the cbc pitch bot is not satire anymore it stopped being satire like a hundred days ago someone fund the cbc pitch bot to actually do coverage because i'm guaranteed it'll do better journalism than the cbc at this point like they're non-stop get get it they get it like you guys haven't done enough damage already like withdrawing aid and now trying to sanction Hamas and and sure yeah okay I get what you're saying about if they had done it earlier I mean people would have been totally justified you get it and and I'm not saying that things that happened on October 7th are are to be celebrated all right but at this point at this point there's only one set of people with arms that are willing to stop snipers Israeli snipers from shooting children Right. Like we are watching a set of people that are now herded into a tiny area. Leaflets are being dropped on Rafah, the last place. And ground troops are encircling it. Carpet bombing is happening in this last safe zone. And the only people, the only armed entity to the Houthi rebels Okay, so no, that's not right. But okay, so the only armed entities that dare stop them, whether it be Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthi rebels, Iran, they're all just immediately painted as bad guys and you want to disarm them all. So, but also at the same time, you're not willing to like send in your peacekeepers. You're not willing to sanction Israel. You're still arming them to the teeth. Like at what point... Does this not become insane? Are, are peacekeepers even still a thing? Like, <laughs> like I remember l- l- learning about that in, in elementary school and thinking, oh, that's the coolest thing ever, you know? Is, is that That's not a thing, right? Like, you'd think that they would have already sent them if it was a thing. <laughs> like, it's a very selective thing. I think we've no one's really met their obligations in terms of peacekeeping. They've not ever been peacekeepers. So, like, I hope everyone heard the irony in my voice when I said that. And, and that's the thing is that, like, you know, Canada, you know, Lester B. Pearson is, was supposed to be, like, the founder of that whole thing, right? We're, it's supposed to be part of... Like, I was taught as a kid that, like, that was Canadian identity, that Canada goes... To, to 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 ensure peace in the world. Now we're like, you know, Israel has a right to carpet bomb whoever they want to carpet bomb for whatever reason that they want to carpet bomb, which, I mean, that's the subtext behind it all, right? And 
I mean, we, we like there are performative things that we could be doing that we're not doing. You know what I mean? There are like things that don't change anything at all. Like we could be putting out messages like we strongly condemn uh, the killing of any civilians and and, uh, uh, you know, we ask Israel to to cease hostilities. Um, and, you know, like we, we could be we could be performative about this. We could be saying things and not actually changing anything. We're not even doing that. Oh, oh we are. You know? I, I've got one for that. I got one for that category. Our uh, so-called special visa program for people trapped in Gaza. So, you know, we're good. We, we welcome refugees, right? We brought over tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees and yeah, fundraisers. You know, we have these special kind of visa programs that they instituted here for for getting people out of Gaza who had family here in Canada and the liberals were celebrated we we i you know total disclaimer we've always been wary of the attempt to relocate palestinians as the only mechanism of canadian involvement i mean that's just feeding into the exile of more palestinians but you know people do need to escape gaza right folks are injured folks want to get out of there for obvious reasons. And so our special visa program, now if you've heard our other episode, a reminder that Israel holds the secure, the last say on security clearance for these folks. So to start, but it's only for a thousand people and for three years only. And those people that qualify have to agree that their family will support them the entire time. So that means no social assistance. It's likely not even a working visa. You have to have at least economically stable relatives over here that will look after you for three years. And the premise is after three years, they're going to send you back. I the don't, average Canadian can't afford a $500 emergency. Where the hell are people going to have the money to support people like that? Come on now. Yeah. Like, and not only that, in three years, what are we facing? We don't even know what Gaza will look like in three years. We don't know if Israel will allow them to return. That part is just a farce to begin with. But Santiago, a thousand people are allowed to escape. And we are, what, 130 days into this. Guess how many people have qualified under that program? Did anyone? No, not one. Not one. And there's a CBC story that I'll link. And it talks about a family that was essentially wiped out while waiting for a response. There's like a third step to the qualification process. My guess, my speculation is that's the security clearance part and likely being held up by Israel. But I wouldn't put it past us to have just made this entire visa program another one of your performative things that we're talking about, where we said we would pull people out, we would do family reunification, and we never had any intention of doing that at all. And and, and there won't even be people left to bring over on the list because there's nowhere left safe in Gaza. Have you seen the the charts where it shows, you know, population density in Gaza versus where the bombing in Gaza has happened? When we talk about there's nowhere safe, it's they're bombing everywhere where there's people. Yeah, those two pictures are the same. And folks should take time, if they haven't already, 
to look up at a map of the Gaza Strip and imagine that entire population is now into that bottom southern corner south of Khan Yunis. And that's about 1.6 million people. The numbers are really hard to define at this point, but you know, you've got definitely over a million people all displaced, most of them living on the streets are in tents, and now they're they're being treated as the same way in the north where they're being told to evacuate and there's absolutely nowhere for them to go. And during this kind of movement from Khan Yunus, where a lot had settled, to Rafa was when Mansour Suman was reported missing. Now, if you, again, have been like living under a rock or something and haven't heard about Canadian-Palestinian journalist Mansour Suman, he was reported to have been abducted by the IDF. None of that has been confirmed. All that we do know is his family and his support team lost contact with him for about two weeks. And the response here, Canada side, was immense. There was a petition that went out that quickly gained lots of signatures. And you even got the prime minister actually making a statement trying to express some bullshit concern. I don't know what what happened, but we do know that he is back on air. He is back reporting from Khan Yunis in the Gaza Strip. And you can I'll link his IG, his Instagram account so people can see for themselves. But I think that was a relief for people. But it also, again, brings up the discussion how like no journalists are safe. And the Canadian media here is doing such an abysmal job. Jesse Brown stepping in again. Uh, this man is not even pretending to be a journalist anymore. He had nothing to say about Selena Robinson's anti-Palestinian racism like at all even though that was the story in Canadian media for uh, the entire weekend. The only time he chimed in was, of course, to comment on the awful vandalism that happened outside of her office and to label it as anti-Semitism. So the fact that this guy still has his platform is astonishing. I, I wonder what their <laughs> I wonder what their subscription list looks like now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's. It's such a free fall. I've not, like the way that Jesse Brown has just completely <laughs> fallen apart. And it, it's not even just like Israel Palestine stuff. He's like talking about like he's like defending AI porn and stuff, like uh like yes. made in people's image and like what the hell? Like this guy completely <sighs> lost it. You know, it's it, it's what the hell like, what the hell is wrong with him? Speaking of people who lost their way. Joe Roberts is no longer with J-Space. Uh, we can speculate all we want. We're going to tell ourselves that they finally rid themselves of that Zionist. How Fun fact, the very next day, or at least like maybe two days, but very soon after they announce his departure, they release a statement that Canada should reinstate funding to UNRWA. So I wonder if maybe Joe was holding that statement back, um, because as we know, Zionists don't actually make up the majority of the Jewish population and the views that they hold are not inherently Jewish. And so 
that was nice to see coming out of J-Space to take that stand that that had gone too far. But yeah, it's unfortunately there's no shortage of figures on the left. All of these feel like they should be in quotations (laughs) that are really feeding into the narratives that we try so hard to tear down. And so I guess that's why we have such gripes with them. It feels like we're having to undo their handiwork all the time or maybe vice versa. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 (laughs) sorry. I I don't even know where to go with this because it's just so, like it's it's comical, but it also shows like, you know, don't, don't put anyone on a pedestal. Least of us don't put us on a pedestal, you know. Like don't put no nobody, no one figure represents the left, and 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 we're all, you know, people that need to be held accountable. Those of us who are searching for platforms, those of us who are trying to like speak, we all need to be held accountable, you know. Like, I, I sure hope that, like, if I ever said something that fucking absurd that that people would be holding me accountable and I hope that I would be, you know, mature enough to listen. Um, but, yeah, it's there are no heroes, you know, this this is about all of us. It's not about any one of us. And so the Jesse Rob, uh, the Jesse Browns and the Joe Roberts and everyone like, you know. It's heed the warning signs, right? Yeah, clearly there's no heroes because I'm a little bit older. I feel like I grew up surrounded by music that was a little bit revolutionary. I'm not going to start naming artists, but I just kind of grew up with the impression that musicians often use their music for a cause and should. And perhaps that's just my whole mentality that anybody with a platform should use it in particularly times like this. Uh, again, we've talked about how I don't really possess a filter, so I, I perhaps can never, uh, maybe that's why I never apply one, but I'm kind of talking about the entertainment industry and the Grammys just happened. I didn't watch them. I don't watch those things generally, but you know, you can't help but get a summary of events through social media. And... I guess I expected in this moment somebody to get up or or multiple people to try to press this issue to perhaps be dressed in black, red, white and green. Uh, Anything to try to draw attention to use this kind of huge platform. And only Annie Lennox did. Right. There was an in memoriam portion that they get through and and she did. She held up her fist and she made comments there and that was it. And it was hosted by a South African. So my disappointment in Trevor Noah extends far beyond the Grammys. I mean, I once heard him tell a joke about uh, South African miners just being completely slaughtered by police. And it was a real kind of class war joke that rubbed me the wrong way. So I've not liked him for since I heard that. But it does disappoint me because he has been on the record for Palestine, as have other artists, but some of them are just so silent now. And shit, like Roger Waters just got dropped from his label. That man has been part of the BDS movement for decades. He has been 
so outspoken. His concert backgrounds are often a political message, mostly about Palestine. And now they decide to drop him? I mean, I don't know. Like like you said, there are no heroes, and, and I shouldn't expect it, but I think I did, at least out of musicians. But as a musician, <laughs> can you agree with me here, or do you... You just think it's the same old, same old, that particular industry, like every other industry, just there's no space for it. And to be fair, it's not all musicians, right? It's the ones that get platforms like the Grammys, right? Um, Because, you know, I mean, I might use the example of Low Key, you know, one of my favorite rappers. And I discovered him through his music, not through his uh, commentary, but he hasn't taken a day off. Since uh, I'm during not sure this whole he thing, right? He, no, like he he's been a relentless warrior uh, for the cause, right? So you know, shout out again as always to Loki. Um, you know, people like Macklemore put out a statement. Shout out to him. You know, um, I wasn't surprised by that. People are surprised at that. He's always spoken about these things, uh, but I guess there are some people that were there that I expect him maybe do more. Uh, Killer Mike's an example. You know, Killer Mike, he, he does speak out for a lot of things, but, you know, he... he I, I don't even know who won Grammy, so I don't even know anything about who was there. I just know I saw some clips of Killer Mike there, so... And I didn't hear about him speaking, so... um, But, yeah, I mean... History also hasn't been kind <laughs> to a lot of artists who have spoken out, right? It, uh, Shanae O'Connor comes to mind as someone who had it pretty rough for things that we all now know she was right about. Well, Annie Lennox is actually singing one of her songs during the In Memoriam because Sinead O'Connor passed away this year. So it's funny that you had tied her to that. And even currently, you know, uh, like kind of like Hollywood related, but Susan Sarandon, she was dropped by her agency for showing up at Palestinian solidarity rallies. There's the Scream franchise blew up. The young actress there, Melissa Barrera, she was openly fired for her views on Palestine. And there's a great article of her kind of pushing back on that in the Rolling Stone being vindicated of sorts. But it's the same pressures that exist in, in the academia and the political world. So I think that's what made the Selena Robinson case important for the points that we discussed already at the beginning of the episode. But also, you know, it's one of the first times that we've seen somebody be removed from an important position for being a Zionist. And I think like there's some people in my mentions sometimes trying to force me to make space for Zionism, like as though I should tolerate Zionism. And and I don't just for the record, I don't think it's a legitimate ideology. I think it's harmful. It I, I'm not talking about whether or not they should be able to say what they need to say. I just think it shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be political systems based on Zionism. So it's just it feels like that's part of the tide turning. Although like the retributions against pro-Palestinian activists has surely not ended. The fact that pressure 
finally paid off against the impunity for which Zionists had been operating, as though they could just hold these positions that erase Palestinians in their mind and spout them and still hold a job in elected office. And that's no longer the case. So may all the Zionists elected officials out there know that we're coming for them. Uh, but, but to be clear, you can be a Zionist and be in political office. You just can't be openly racist and a Zionist and... You know, I like disagree. You a- I I think in a Canadian office there shouldn't be a politician that believes one set oh, no, of I people agree. are deserving of an exclusive so, homeland. So, sorry, let me be clear. I I don't think that they should be. I mean more that like clearly they're allowed to. Like clearly they they get space to as long as they don't. You know, as long as they're slick about it, right? As long as they hide these views yes so their policies will still reflect a zionist ideology but don't you dare spout that shit in a zionist lobby webinar that's going to be posted online afterwards so you'll have to at least couch your language or be a little bit more careful but the fact that it's just like not legitimate anymore and it had been for so long like people have been saying this nonsense for a long time they still say it but now we have an example of where we held them accountable and we drew a line. So I hope that's a trend. Yeah. And I mean, until the, this whole, th- until this whole thing is over, until the genocide ends, until there's a free Palestine, like we need to keep putting that pressure. We need to keep fighting. We need to keep putting <laughs> papers of tape and chalk and much more than that on all the, politician's office and people like melanie jolie shouldn't get a a peaceful night's sleep because i can tell you that the the children of gaza are not getting a peaceful night's sleep with the bombs dropping over their head so i see no reason why melanie jolie should herself so yeah we need to keep at it and not expect and also like i think if there's a theme from all of this it's not expecting those in power to to act in the interests of anyone other than those in power because they've shown you time and again what this is. They have their class consciousness. They know who they are. And we know who we are. You know? Don't confuse them as anything but. I don't know. (laughs) That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.